There are a lot of questions right now about some new protocols from the BC Centre for Substance Use, protocols involving the fentanyl tablet program. There are concerns that minors might be able to get access to this program and access to these fentanyl pills. So with all those concerns kind of swirling around on social media, we thought, why don't we just get right to the centre of it with the help of our next guest. Dr. Paxton Back is with us, co-medical director for the BC Centre on Substance Use. Dr. Back, thank you so much for being with us. Morning, Simi. Thanks for having me. First off, what is the fentanyl tablet program? So the, the protocols that, that are being discussed uh, actually came out last, last year, and I think it's, it's, I appreciate the opportunity to come uh, clarify some things around them because I think the, the discussion right now is being a little bit, um, a little bit disappointing in that it, it's really, I think, not focusing on, on, on the more important issues that we really need to be talking about. The, the protocols in question um, are referring to, to a very, very specific harm reduction initiative um, involving the provision of, of, of fentanyl products to a very, very select number of, of patients in a very select number of sites, two or three sites around the province, um, no more than a few dozen patients who, who, who have shown benefit from accessing uh, an alternative to, to a toxic and poison drug supply um, by accessing pharmaceutical fentanyl products. These are done almost exclusively in witness settings at harm reduction sites, um, under the under the eye of, of very experienced providers, and I just want to be clear: all there there is absolutely nothing around the, the, in these protocols and the approaches that's specifically discussing their use in adolescents. Um, uh, that that's really not the intention, right. other than other than the fact that you know, like any other form of medical care in BC, um, from you know immunizations to birth control to transplants. Um, it's, it's arbitrary to say that somebody who's 19 can access it and somebody who's 18 absolutely cannot. Um, that's an arbitrary decision and really, um, I think, a much more thorough kind of assessment of, of a situation and, and, and an individual's needs is, is required for, for any patient who might enroll in one of these programs. You certainly have many, many additional considerations, and, and uh, but but uh, there's there's no arbitrary age limit, and that's simply what these protocols reflect. Okay, so that's the concern, right, Doctor Back? Is the fact that this pro the protocols here don't specify a minimum age with which someone could potentially get access to the fentanyl tablet program? What kind of hoops would they have to jump through? I guess that's the question people have: is like, would a child, a minor, somehow be able to say that, yes, I need this? So any, any, any person who is interested in accessing one of these programs of any age would need to be uh, a patient at, at, one of, at one of a handful of select <clears throat> health authority-funded um, harm reduction-oriented sites around the province. There, there, are, there are three, to my knowledge, that are currently um, using these protocols, um, and they would, they, would, they would get a thorough assessment by an addiction medicine specialist uh, and access to the entire breadth of treatments that we can offer, everything from residential treatment to evidence-based proven medications for opioid use disorder to other harm reduction, in it, harm reduction offerings that might reduce the risk of death in the current climate. Um, if uh, on thorough assessment and an assessment of their individual needs uh, and, and desires um, and, and the resources available, um, it was felt by, uh, by the provider or by the providers that, that these products 
would help engage them in care and reduce their risk of death, then they could begin to access them under very uh, controlled and witnessed circumstances while continuing to access all the other wraparound resources available through those sites. Okay, so are we talking about like maybe a 15-year-old, a 16-year-old, and would, would they get, wouldn't you need to get like parental permission? Would the parents be involved at all? So I have, I have a, a really difficult time ever imagining that being, being the case. Um, certainly dealing with youth, there are additional resources that are available to us, and there are many additional considerations. Um, uh, there, the, the, there, are, there are no absolutes in medicine, so again, it would really depend on, on the situation and, um, and what is felt by the treating team to, to, be, in the, to be helpful for any given individual. Um, uh, and whether they have the capacity and ability to participate in this in these programs themselves, um, so so there are no there are no absolute uh, not absolutes in medicine. Would that ever happen? I I I can't uh, I can't ever really imagine that being the case. Um, but it's always going to be a case by case basis. Right. So I guess the concern then, Doctor Back, is why not spell that out in the protocol so at least it's very clear that there would be so many hoops that somebody would have to jump through to get to that point. So, so it is spelled out that for anyone under 19, it involves at least two physicians and, and, and more careful discussion. And in general, dealing with youth, uh, it does open up an entire new area of specialty uh, in the area of addiction medicine. Um, but any 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 age limit that we were that we would put on it is arbitrary. And really, as 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 many other interventions go in BC, it's about somebody's ability to to understand what they're participating in, their capacity to consent, and that is a fluid thing. Um, which which uh, doesn't necessarily hinge on any specific age. Right. Is this program helpful? What does it do for people? So again, a lot of emphasis on this program, and I think it's I'm I'm more than happy to talk about it. But we're talking about um, maybe a couple of dozen people across the entire province. Um, so really. Um, this is a pilot program, um, a program that's being launched on, with a very select group of people who have not found benefit from anything else that we've offered and are being evaluated. So that data is is being collected. But it does speak, I think, the discussion here is largely around the broader idea of, of what's often called safer supply or prescribed safer supply, which which hinges around the, the idea of providing people with uh, access to a regulated form of drug, um, something that's predictable um, as an alternative to, to an unpredictable and toxic drug supply. And the evidence for that approach in general is growing. It's actually quite timely um, um, to have this discussion because we actually had an article come out in the British Medical Journal uh, just today, um, myself and, and colleagues um, from Simon Fraser University and the BC Centre for Disease Control, describing the experience in BC over the first two years of the pandemic with such an approach and demonstrating that people who are accessing prescribed alternatives to, to, to the toxic drug supply made a massive reduction in the risk of overdose death. So would you say that the people who are looking or in this program are people who want help, who are looking for recovery? I mean, by definition, the fact that, that, that somebody is there, they're looking for, for help. They're looking for some alternative to, to the environment that they're, currently, uh, that they're currently living in. You know, recovery is, a, is, a, is, is, is very much a subjective term. Recovery just, um, um, recovery to and within addiction medicine is really defined by an individual around, you know, moving towards um, a state of more stability, of, of higher quality of life, more safety, of more um, um, 
<clears throat> of, of of sort of a self-defined um, self-defined recovery. And so, yes, by definition, anyone who's continuing to come and engage in these programs is looking for a change, and is is through these programs able to access. Uh, all sorts of services, including things like primary care, wound care, uh, other harm reduction initi- initiatives, etc. So it can be a very effective way of engaging people in, in our system. Right. But you clearly understand that it seems like in the public right now, there is concern about safe supply and some of the measures that we've taken here in BC. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm I'm very aware of the discussion, and, and I'm I'm very involved. Um, you know, certainly there are, the the evidence is growing that this can be of benefit for people who are using drugs in terms of reducing the risk of overdose death. There are certainly many uh, unanswered questions and many potential unintended consequences that we really need to be thoughtful about and evaluating. Thus far, all of the evidence um, has, is not showing uh, harms occurring at a population level, um, um, despite many of the the, the stories that, that you might be hearing. But there, there, these are early days, and there, there remains many questions to be asked, um, many, many ongoing evaluations. All right. Well, Dr. Bach, thank you for taking the time to explain it to us this morning. I appreciate it. Thanks. That's Dr. Paxton Bach, co-medical director for the BC Centre on Substance Use, talking about what he believes are the misconceptions surrounding that fentanyl tablet program. There's a lot of stories swirling on social media right now that, oh, kids have access to it, but you heard there what the protocols actually are and how that works.